0: Uh, Today, we are starting a three-week series called Vulnerable Souls. As I have been reflecting on things that are currently taking place culturally, and I've been thinking a lot about the moment that we exist in, I have been struck at how easy it is for certain attitudes to consistently occupy minds and hearts. Right, So let's, I just want to kind of put a few realities in front of you. First of all, anxiety and anxiety disorders are increasingly reported among youth in this day and age. Depression is a regular part of conversation that people are talking about. Uh, social concern about the future is on the rise. If you turn on the news, you can hear about five or six different things that are currently jeopardizing our future. Right, discussion all the time about problems with the places that we live in and the places that we work. You have constant news reports telling you about what's wrong with our country. It doesn't matter what news station you listen to, you will find somebody to tell you what is wrong with our country. You add to that the reality that our trust of each other is decreasing and isolation is increasing amongst us. So all of these realities present unique vulnerabilities to our souls. And encountering them, honestly, like encountering these vulnerabilities is simply a part of what it means to be human. But it's almost as if these moments for us can become kind of fork in the road moments. Here's what I mean. Like we we can experience and deal with them or respond to these moments in one of two ways. The first way that we could respond is we could respond in healthy ways ways that help us to find life and joy and peace in the midst of the hard experience, right? To engage it with wisdom, to engage it in a way that is informed by scripture, to have it be laced with prayer, to be reliant on God who knows our souls better than anybody else knows our souls, right? So that's one way we could respond. The other way we we could respond is is in unhealthy ways that would restrict life and joy and peace. They perpetuate life us uh, kind of lingering in the vulnerability. They thrive on our disconnection from God. They turn us inward on ourselves. So today what we're doing is we are starting this series and it's built to help us look at kind of the emotional vulnerabilities of the current moment. So today's vulnerability. (coughs) Today's vulnerability is anxiety. So first, a, a, a clarification. Today what I am talking about is the normal everyday human experience of anxiety. I am differentiating that from things like anxiety disorders or uh, struggling uh, struggles with a, a lingering mental health issue. That's not to say that, that what I'm going to say doesn't apply to those things, right? But if you find yourself kind of in a state of constant anxiety, I think it, it, it could be helpful for you to find a licensed Christian counselor, right? So I, and I would love to help refer you to somebody who could help you with that. Right? But, but the things that I'm, I, I'm gonna say today are not necessarily gonna give you like a one-off solution if you're in the midst of a constant struggle with anxiety. But with ever, everyday anxiety, let's just consider these things for a second. I'm gonna ask you a few questions. What gets your heart rate up? What increases your blood pressure? Right? I'm talking about responses that your body has to unique stressful moments. What causes you to overthink? You know what you do like when you play a a scene in your head and then you replay it and you replay it and replay it, right, right? What causes you to lose sleep? What keeps you, this has been me before, what keeps you from being able to eat? You just don't even want to eat, right? I'm going to give you a list of possible causes, right? There's like a list of majorities of people struggle with similar sorts of things, There's a list of possible causes of these things. It could be money or material stability. It could be your job or uh, something about your job performance. It could be your physical health for either you or your family. It could be news, politics, world events, right? Um, For me, it's relationships. Right? So, uh, or it could just be the amount of responsibility that you have. Sometimes it could be a combination of all of them, but I know, like, for me in particular, when I sense that a relationship is in jeopardy, or, or that is being damaged actively, or that I've done something to damage that relationship, I, I can just turn myself over in knots about that situation. Right? So, so if we could boil all of these down... I want to use them to describe, uh, to to provide for us a definition of anxiety as we move forward this morning. Anxiety is this. Anxiety is concern about a real or perceived threat that will make life harder. So the reason that you turn yourself over and nods is because you are anticipating a difficulty to life if you don't resolve the thing that's happening right now. So you're, you're concerned about how life will be more difficult if you don't resolve the threat right now. So it's a concern about a real or perceived threat that will make life harder. So let's talk about money for a second. If your savings is depleting, if inflation is going up, if your buying power is decreasing, you can imagine a possible future where, gosh, I may not be able to provide more for myself or my family or my current standard of living. And so if you think about that, your heart rate might go up, right? You might even start, your body starts having responses, like you might start sweating. You might spend a lot of time trying to strategize and re-strategize and re-strategize your finances, right? If it's your job, maybe you have unrealistic, unrealistic expectations placed upon you. Maybe you work with people who do not communicate well. And, or maybe you're asked to step into something that is beyond your ability, beyond what you can actually do, right? And so, so you have a possible future. As you think about how life will be harder, your possible future is, gosh, tomorrow and the next day and the next day, it will keep being a slog Right? I will keep having to deal with this again and again and again. And if you think about it, you might actually dread even waking up and going to work, going into work, dealing with those kinds of things. You don't want to deal with it. You might lose sleep or the fact that you, you know when you wake up at the end of this sleep that you're going to get ready to go to work the next day. Relationships. If it's relationships, maybe it's damage that you've done, maybe it's pain that has been created there, maybe there's a relational frustration present. The possible future is Maybe a failure that you had could be exposed to other people. Maybe you would actually have to own up to that failure. Maybe you just don't have, you're worried about not being able to have any peace with this person. Maybe you're gonna deal with them holding a grudge against you. Maybe the relationship could be ended. Those are all ways that life could be harder because of what's going on with this relationship. If you think, you might be inclined to overthink. Right? And then you might replay those conversations and you might skip meals in order to try to do something to resolve. So I want you to hear this because those are all possible responses that our, our body and our minds are having to anxiety. I want you to know that anxiety is not always a bad or sinful thing. In fact, its existence is a gift, why? Because sometimes the threat is real. Sometimes the thing that anxiety is waking you up to is a thing that's actually going to happen. And anxiety is kind of like, if you think on your dashboard, anxiety is a warning light, right? It's coming up and it's telling you, hey, something is going wrong. There's something for you to pay attention to. Something difficult is coming. right, so I'll tell you straight up. Jesus himself experienced anxiety in a way that nobody throughout all of history has ever experienced anxiety, right? In Luke 22, we see Jesus, he's praying out on the Mount of Olives. This is before he's gonna get arrested and uh, taken to be tried and put up for execution. And Jesus is praying and he is so stressed about what is about to happen to him that he is literally sweating drops of blood. What this is, is that your stress level is so high, your blood pressure is so high that your body responds by exploding the blood vessels in your skin so that blood falls out of your skin. That's what's happening to Jesus in this moment. Because what is he gonna face? Well, he's gonna face physical torment, spiritual torment as he faces literally like all of God's wrath towards sin. And not one part of him actually wanted to endure that. Now, there was a different part of him that saw to the other side, but he did not want to endure the torment that he was going to face, and he, he had anxiety. He was stressed about that to a high level. So anxiety is a kind of detector of threats for us, but here's the thing. Because we are broken people, our warning lights are also broken. So um, sometimes anxiety lies to us. It can turn small things into big things or safe things into scary things. Sometimes our anxiety can take control of us. It can cause us to do and say things that are sinful. It can cause us to doubt God. It can cause us, in trying to get control of the situation that we sense a possible threat, it can cause us to attempt to control others. So this is my goal today. I want to give us a biblically grounded approach to anxiety so that as we come out of today, we have some really clear next steps. And then actually, like, I want us to commit to taking those next steps that we might find peace and freedom in a world that is actively fighting to make us anxious. Okay, so along those lines, let me pray. Jesus, I know that there are Individuals in this room who have fought with anxiety in various forms for much of their life. I know that for many people, it is the possibility of it being a a present thing is kind of always nipping at the heels. And so in recognition of that, Holy Spirit, we need you. we trust you. May you increase the work that you want to do in your people this morning to help us find freedom and joy and peace in the midst of things that are prone to make us anxious. Holy Spirit, we trust you for this. We look to you for this. And so we confess our reliance upon you in this time. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So Philippians chapter 4 is where we are this morning. If you haven't opened your Bibles already, we're in Philippians chapter 4. We're going to be starting in verse 4. Verse 4. It says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, Rejoice. Rejoice. So this, in this passage, this is the first of a series of positive commands that stands opposed to anxiety. So, uh, so Paul, in this little passage here, Paul gives one negative command, and it's surrounded by a series of positive commands. The negative command is, do not be anxious. The positive commands like stand opposed to anxiety, right? So first, I don't want you to misunderstand what's happening here. This is not kind of a one-off response to your anxiety. Sometimes, as Christians, we can take this particular passage of Scripture and we can treat this as if it is an easy fix for a problem that we're facing. Right? So we encounter a problem, and then we respond with, oh, rejoice in the Lord always. As if somehow like, you're saying that should be able to flip a switch inside of you And suddenly your anxiety is resolved. No, instead, that's not actually what he's doing. Instead, I would argue that what Paul is doing is providing a rhythm of living. A regularly engaged pattern of life that is meant to train and retrain your mind and body out of anxious patterns that the world's rhythms are trying to train into your mind and body. Right, so, so the rhythm that Paul suggests here is a retraining of your mind and body, which is prone to anxiety. And so, I just want to say this as we set out here: souls that withstand anxiety are souls that have been trained by rhythms of grace. Souls that withstand anxiety are souls that have been trained by rhythms of grace. And that's why Paul starts out with this kind of rhythmic saying. He says, rejoice. Well, when do I rejoice? Always. Oh, and if you didn't get it, again, I say rejoice. Right? He's saying this is, this is kind of a consistent pattern. He's repeating himself and using this word always, trying to indicate to you this needs to be a regular pattern of your life. All right, so the first rhythm that he gives us, rhythm number one, is to practice rejoicing. So for each of these rhythms, I'm just gonna ask the question, how do we engage that rhythm of life? What is something that we can do, steps that we can take to help us engage in that rhythm? Well, in this case... The thing that is meant to make your soul rejoice, the thing that you are called to constantly remember is the good news. So I would encourage you to constantly reflect on and consider the good news and all of its results, right? Everything that you have received in Jesus is is meant to, first of all, give you a gift, but then what it does to your soul, if you actually understand what you received, is it causes you to rejoice. So I, I just want you to hear the words from this psalm. This is Psalm 107. This is like the effect, the full-blown effect of the good news. Uh, Psalm 107, it says, Some sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, prisoners in afflictions and irons. For they had rebelled against the words of God. They had spurned the counsel of the Most High. So he made their lives difficult, bowed down their hearts with hard labor. They fell down with none to help. Then, then, They cried to the Lord in their trouble, and He delivered them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and burst their bonds apart. Let them thank the Lord for His steadfast love, for His wondrous works to the children of men, for He shatters the doors of bronze and cuts into the bars of iron. Right? That's like celebrate that again and again and again. This is the gospel and its full effects. If I could boil it down to two things, it is this. Number one, before Christ, I was in a dire situation. Oh, and by the way, that situation had a lot to do with things that you did, right? Like your, it was something that you helped manufacture. Before Christ, I was in a dire situation. Number two, Christ came and saved me and gave me abundance. right? Like, that, like if we could just boil everything down, that is where it's at. I was in a terrible situation, but you know what? The Lord, he came and he gave me something that I did not deserve. Right, so listen to music that reminds you of it. Read about it. Reflect on it. Listen to preachers who speak about it. Like let your mind be set on this thing that would not be true if he did not do it, but because he did it, it is indeed true and you are indeed saved. So, so let me just say that if you struggle to find joy in those basic truths of Christianity, it's either because you are not often reflecting on them or it's because you're struggling to believe one of those two things, that you are in a dire situation or that Christ actually came and gave you a way, an abundant way out of that situation. So I just want to create that awareness. Uh, Verse five of Philippians chapter four says this. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. That's interesting. The Lord is at hand. So, the second rhythm, then, that he says is to practice reasonableness. Right? We we practiced, uh, first of all, we practiced rejoicing. Second of all, we're going to practice our reasonableness. I want you to notice this word. First, notice that reasonableness is assumed for the everyday Christian. Right? We are a clear-headed, non-reactive people. Our faith is reasonable. Our morality is reasonable. Our ideas make sense. They are reasonable. Our reactions are reasonable. In conflict, we are reasonable. In discussions, we are reasonable people. Right? To be reasonable, this is what it means. I just want to like, make it as simple as possible. It means to think and act logically and rightly right, to think and act logically in the right way. Another way to think of it is to think and act in accordance with what is true, right? To be reasonable means you are thinking and acting in line with what is objectively true. So it's like this. Uh, This is a really great illustration from a former pastor of mine. I think it's very, very useful. When anxiety is a backseat passenger, it is in the right spot, right? It sees something that looks like a threat, and it will tell you, hey, pay attention to this. You might not see it. Every once in a while, my wife will speak up and say, hey, there's a car in front of you, and you're not putting on the brake, and now's a good time to put on the brake, right? That is a helpful, a helpful thing to hear, right? Hey, this could make your life harder, and you might need to do something here, right? That's a, that's a useful thing. The problem comes When we let anxiety take the wheel, right, then we can become unreasonable, right? We can display visible impatience with our situation. We will make attempts to control and manipulate other people in order to take control of our circumstances. We could say and do things that are intended to offend others because anxiety has so worked itself into our souls. Maybe we yell as a result of our anxiety or... Maybe another way that anxiety takes control is that you avoid. You put off important tasks. You let your responsibilities fall by the wayside and excuse disobedience to what God has already given you responsibility for. Right? All of these are unreasonable actions. So the question then is, how do I practice reasonableness as a rhythm? Uh, I remember them doing this thing when I was in elementary school, which of course, elementary school is a terrible time to do this. I mean, I get it, but it doesn't really work because our frontal lobes aren't developed yet in elementary school, which our our ability to stop and think doesn't exist, but they put these signs up all over my elementary school that said stop and think. So now to, to all of the adults in the room, you have fully developed frontal lobes, which means that you do have the ability to stop and think. It actually exists inside of you. Okay, so good. So what I mean by that is that you need to do this. You need to practice responding and stop reacting. Practice responding and stop reacting. If anxiety is drawing your attention to a threat, let it draw your attention to that threat. But you remember the the definition. There's that little bit in the definition about real or perceived. It is a real or a perceived threat. Sometimes the threat is real. Right? Sometimes your anxiety, though, will lie to you and make something seem more threatening than it actually is. So what anxiety has done is it has brought something to your attention. Right? So, so that awareness now presents an opportunity for you to stop and consider. So I want to give you just a series of questions to ask yourself when the warning light's going off. A series of questions. Number one, is there a real threat here? Evaluate that. Figure that out. Is, am I worried about something that is truly threatening? Or am I making up a threat that doesn't actually exist? Because that's the pattern that the world has wired into my way of responding. So is there a real threat here? Number two, What? is true or untrue about the intensity of the threat. Right, so I don't know if we have journalis- journalers in here, right? but if you're prone to sit down with a pen and paper and actually write these things out, they can be incredibly helpful, especially as you talk about retraining your mind and your body to do certain things. It's only through s- intentional consideration of these things that you're able to develop the patterns necessary to help you respond well. Right so what is true or untrue about the intensity right it could be a very big threat if somebody is pulling out a gun your your threat your threat level like you should be it should be very intensified right you should be ready to respond your anxiety if it's massive in that moment is appropriate and it's telling you to take a proper response but like sometimes you can make up things that are happening in relationships that aren't actually happening right or maybe they're happening but you're treating them way more intensely than they actually are in the relationship. Right, so what is true or untrue about the intensity of the threat? Number three, what is true of me as I face the potential threat? Okay, so this might be the most important one out of all of them. It's amazing how quickly we forget the gifts that we have been given when we feel threatened right? Whatever the threat may jeopardize, the things that we have received in Christ cannot stop being true. Whatever the threat may be that's coming towards us, the gifts that we have because of what Jesus has accomplished do not stop being true of us, right? So so one thing, one verse that I love to use when I'm counseling people in anxiety, or I myself am dealing with something anxious. Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30, this is how Jesus relates to his followers. Those who have confessed him as Lord, those who have chosen Jesus, he says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Like that, that's, every other thing in the world fails to operate towards us like that. That's Jesus' posture towards us, always. Right, so I just wanna, I wanna give you this. This is a thing that I invite people to repeat in prayer. Um, occasionally, I've come across those, like I, I'm in a state, it's hard for me to get out of this state. So I, I start, I read that verse, Say, hey, take some deep breaths in, take some deep breaths out, and then just repeat these truths again and again and again. Here, Lord Jesus Christ, I am safe with you. You have mercy on me and you love me. Deep breath in, deep breath out. Lord Jesus Christ, I'm safe with you. You have mercy on me, and you love me. So, with Autumn, in the middle of the night, um, you know, you deal with the dark, right? I was terrified of the dark as a kid, right? So I understand her situation. So, So, with Autumn, I try to remind her of what is true about her as she's afraid of the dark, as she's getting ready for bed. Autumn, mommy and daddy, are here with you, you are safe with us, oh, and by the way, do you know who's watching over you better than even we can, Jesus, he's safe with you, Uh, you're safe with him, and, and did you know, like mommy and daddy love you, we will always do what is good for you, Jesus loves you more than we could ever love you, and he's watching over you right now, you're safe with him, Right? So, remind your soul of these things. And, and it's incredible, after I sit with her and we're able, like, she's paying attention to what I'm saying, like, she's like, okay, I'm okay now. You know, like, you can, you can leave the room and everything's okay, right? So, so, remind yourself of these truths. What is true of you as you face the potential threat? And then finally, as you get your soul to settle into the truths of who Jesus is and what he has done for you. Number four, how would truth lead me to respond to whatever threat exists, right? What is the true and right way to respond to the situation at whatever level it might be, whether or not it is real. So now what does this do? Well, if you've just started practicing this series of things, I want to tell you that it the only thing that it actually does for you is help you determine a reasonable response it will not necessarily get your mind and body to calm down i know because i'm speaking from experience here like the moment you start implementing these things it does not necessarily make your mind and body come down what it does is it says okay anxiety is not going to take the driver's seat here. I'm still feeling things, I'm still experiencing things, but what I'm gonna do is I'm going to seek the Lord to help me make the most reasonable decision despite what I feel. So that's, that's uh, what this accomplishes. So the point is that being reasonable does not necessarily mean that you put an end to the feeling. It means that you respond rightly regardless of the feeling. Okay, verse six. Verse six, we have the, the the negative command. Do not be anxious about anything. We knew this one was coming, right? And this is the one, for what it's worth, that we tend to weaponize, usually against ourselves the most, right? We say, oh, I'm anxious. But we say, oh, but Paul wrote, he said, do not be anxious. And then Jesus said in his Sermon on the Mount, do not be anxious. And so we say, well, stop being anxious, right? As if that works. Uh, but remember, what Paul is doing is he is, talking about how we can train our souls to respond to anxiety, not about how we flip a switch and turn anxiety on or off. So he goes on, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So let's identify a few things. Number one, first from uh, verse six, where did Paul Get the idea of taking everyday anxiety and making prayer our first antidote. He got it from Jesus. He watched what Jesus did, right? Especially, if Jesus faced the thing that made him most anxious? Like Jesus practiced what he preached. He cast his anxieties on the heavenly father and Jesus' body, like in the, like before he went to the cross, his body was under a very real threat. But there he is casting his anxieties upon his father. So the rhythm number three is this. Practice praying through anxiety. Practice praying through anxiety. What kind of prayer does Paul identify as being most helpful for us against anxiety? He says, first, supplication. That word supplication is a fancy way of saying ask. Right, you're asking for something. You need something supplied to you. Right, so pray something like, God, would you replace my anxiety with peace? In the face of this real or perceived threat, would you make my mind reasonable and my heart calm? And you know what? God is your father. And he wants you to ask. He wants to give good gifts to you. Right? Luke 11, 11 through 13. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. And of course, the obvious answer is no father would do that for their child. 13, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? God is the best giver of every gift that has ever been given, and He knows how to give. Why would we not ask Him? And I'm telling you now, like the peace and the reasonableness that you need to navigate the current thing that your anxiety is making you aware of, they come from the Holy Spirit in you. That's where they come from. He is the one who delivers on these things. So when you go to your father and you're saying, gosh, I need you to work reasonableness and peace into my soul, what you're saying is I need you to open up space for the Holy Spirit to go to work here. I need the Holy Spirit to deliver on something, right? So... Paul's invitation, though, is more than just a supply of peace. It's the supply of needs to supply for the specific things that are making you anxious. He's saying, ask God. As you practice reasonableness and rejoicing, ask God to meet the need that you're encountering, whatever the warning light is making you aware of. Is it a relationship that's not at peace? Is it finances that aren't tight? Is it a movable frustration with your job? Is it an issue with your health? health? Like, ask God to come alongside and help you out with whatever it is that you're facing, because God wants us to ask for his help. Now, the point is not that God responds to our asking the way that we want him to respond in every situation. Because the reality is, he may have allowed the challenging circumstance in order to engineer your growth, right? That's a possibility of something that he could be doing. The point is to make sure that you know who to rely on whenever you encounter a potential threat. So, for Paul, though, being a beggar to ask God, is not enough to usher in a reasonable mind and supernatural peace. He also says that we engage in this prayer of supplication with thanksgiving. The most reasonable thing that you can do in prayer is thank God. Why do I say this? Well, I could give you, I'll give you three reasons, three reasons. Uh, Number one, because for every anxiety that God has allowed, there are 10,000 gifts that he has ordained for you personally that right now you are presently experiencing. Right? Unreasonable people, you know what they don't do well? They don't do math well. Right? And one hard thing should not erase 10,000 wonderful things. Right? So um, you know what? There, there are a handful of people right now in our church that are going through significant valleys. I'm gonna draw your attention to two people. First, the Romanos, right? They've been going through two years of uh, disease and death in their life, right? Uh, Ed and Mary Ortega dealing with uh, Ed's cancer diagnosis and treatment. I just want to briefly hold these two families up for us as examples. Because in both of these families, I've seen steady reasonableness and peace in the midst of situations where it feels like and seems like the hits keep on coming. So what was consistently true of them before and during their challenges? What were things that they were doing consistently before and during their challenges? Well, if you ever listen to Debbie come up and talk to us, she frequently talks to us about counting blessings right? Because that is something that she has had to learn to do. Her and Dawn together have had to learn to do to look at the things that God, the blessings that God has given them time and again to come back to God and thank them and say, Lord, you have given me so much. That has trained them to withstand what they are currently now going through, right? Who's, the primary person is, is Debbie. She's always telling us to count our blessings. As I look at Ed and Mary, their steady reasonableness, all of this is the result of hearts that recognize God is a giver of good gifts. We have more than we deserve. And it's not, it's not that that's always their perspective, but they are able to display and withstand the anxiety as it comes. Right, so the most reasonable thing that you can do in prayer is thank God. Why? I'll give you a second reason. Gratitude prevents you from adding anger to your anxiety, right? So, So it's hard to hold on to your anger when you're actively counting your blessings, right? And expressing them verbally, writing them down, whatever it might be. But when you add anger to your anxiety, do you know what you start doing? You start seeking an enemy, You start finding somebody that you can blame, somebody that you can attack, right? So anger plus anxiety equals irrationality, right? Equals unreasonableness. So the most reasonable thing that you can do in prayer is thank God, third reason. Let's keep it simple. Paul seems to understand that God is more likely to answer the prayer of a grateful Christian than an ungrateful Christian. Right, do you want your prayers answered? The reality is this, if I am not daily expressing gratitude to God, I have officially become unreasonable and illogical. Right, That's like the, the point is to say we want to get ourselves in a place with God where we are reasonably expressing our thankfulness to him. So I wanna ask you a question. I think you're probably asking that question, this question as well. If you are prone to feeling anxious, you're, you're gonna ask, Does prayer help anxiety? Depends. There are two factors that seem to impact the results of your prayer to God to take away your anxiety. Number one, have I personally trusted in Jesus? For prayer to be able to help you with your anxiety, you need the Holy Spirit. You cannot have the Holy Spirit if you do not believe in Jesus. If you do not trust him, right? If you believe in Jesus and you trust him, the Holy Spirit produces the fruit, the spiritual fruit of peace in your life. So, have I personally trusted in Jesus? The second question is this Is my prayer accompanied with extreme gratitude? Because apparently, without it, the peace that you are seeking will elude you. Okay. Number seven. And so, so, given Paul's logic, right? He says supplication with all thanksgiving. And means he's saying this is the result. Like it's this plus this equals. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So approaching God with these rhythms, rejoicing, reasonableness, thankful prayer. This is what they do. They create space inside your vulnerable soul for the Holy Spirit to go to work and start bringing about the fruit of peace inside of you. Okay, so there's a final rhythm for us to take note of. It is in verse eight. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about it these things. The fourth rhythm is this, regulate your attention. I know a mental health counselor who calls this verse the gateway verse, because what Paul is doing is he is giving us a framework for the things that we let into our focus. He's saying, this is what you will open up the gate to These are the things that you allow to occupy your mind and attention. If I want to find more consistent peace in the midst of anxiety, I have to ask myself, am I willing to filter the ideas and images and media that cross my mind through this grid? Because if I won't guard what comes in, then God's peace will elude me. So as you come to God asking for peace, you have to decide if you're willing to give your attentions to to the things that he's made for peace, right? If you continue filling your mind with chaos of the world's ideas through media and entertainment, then you should not be surprised if the fruit that comes about in your soul is chaos, right? God wants to give us good gifts, but we actually have a part to play with what we pay attention to. If we fill our attention with chaos, then it should not surprise us when anxiety takes the driver's seat. On the flip side, if we learn to encounter the world with this filter of observation, seeing the things that are true, and honorable, and just, and pure, and lovely, and excellent, and commendable, and worthy of praise. We're letting in those things. We're allowing those things to be what sits with us. Then look what happens in verse 9. He says, what you have learned, and received, and heard, and seen in me Practice these things. Again, making the case. He's not talking about a single one-off event. He's saying this is a rhythm of life. Practice this and the God of peace will be with you. Paul says, I've shown you rhythms. The things that I've said here, these are the rhythms that I have practiced. So practice them. And in the engaging of the rhythms, you will meet God and you will know him as the God who brings peace to your soul that is prone to anxiety. Okay, so what? God's peace is far better than the world's counterfeit. Right. So, so you know what's happening right now. God and the world are actually both offering you this thing that they call peace. But the world's peace primarily is pain avoidance. Right, so uh, Buddhism is one form. They, they talk about this form of peace called Nirvana, which is a, a state of ultimate liberation from suffering. A person in this state, what it is ultimately, Nirvana, is it is a state of detachment and disconnectedness. Uh, in fact, do you know what the like the highest good in Buddhism is? It's non-attachment. That's what you strive for in Buddhism. You just strive not to be attached to people and things. That's the idea. But God's peace is different. Like it's, it's like incredible. Only the devil could come up with a kind of false reality where actually what you need to do is ignore your anxiety, right? Okay, so God's peace is different. God's peace does not get rid of the thing that is causing anxiety, but allows it to be fully present, or allows us to be fully present and reasonable and calm in the midst of the thing. We don't run from hardship. We are in it. We are facing it, and we are overcoming it. We're getting stronger every single time we face the thing that is causing our anxiety. So we need to learn a lesson from Jesus about casting our anxieties on the Father, Remember the garden. What was Jesus anxious about? He was anxious about the cross. He was laying that down before the Father. Did the Father take the cross away? Not at all. God answered the prayer by strengthening Jesus to remain reasonable and at peace as he went through it. So that as you watch him being questioned in front of Pilate and in front of the the high priest, as he goes through all of these trials, you get a very different picture. You see that Jesus is not turned in knots as he is standing before them. He's a very cool head. He's responding in ways that are laced with truth to help the people who are taking him through this understand what is actually happening. So you can feel free to ask God to take the threat away, but the thing that he actually like, more often wants to do is to give you peace and strength to face the threat before he removes it from you. Okay, number two. You can bless, right, we're taking uh, one of our words, one of our three core values here. You can bless an increasingly anxious world with your non-anxious presence. A handful of books have been written recently about the power of a non-anxious presence. Mark Sayers uh, has written one, and he makes this point, that every generation has a unique struggle, and that right now, the church finds itself in the middle of this place where we can uniquely show off the power of God, because this generation's core struggle is anxiety. Right, the generation that is coming up right now, they are anxious about more things than there have ever been to be anxious about. And there are few greater testimonies while living in the world than the, able, the, the ability to avoid freaking out, drugging out, numbing out, but actually the ability to face hard things with steadiness and coolness and reasonability and peace. When we stand toe-to-toe with actual, like, realities that are threatening, and we feel them and we face them and overcome them, this kind of attitude and this kind of lifestyle, what they do is they bring validity to your testimony in Christ, right? So that people would look at you and say, you know what, it seems like you take this thing that's happening, this anxiety-causing event, it seems like you take this seriously, but you're not tied up in knots over it. How is that possible? How is it possible that you're able to stay so cool in the midst of something that's so frustrating? Your non anxious presence will both reinforce your words about your relationship with Christ and will give you greater opportunity to tell others about what is the source of real, lasting peace. So, with all of that being said, church, I'd invite you to pray with me. Father, I thank you for your peace, for the, the ways that you have revealed your kindness and your goodness to us, and I thank you for the invitation that you have given us, not just into a simple kind of one-time, do you believe this is true, but into patterns of life that are meant to bring out abundance, the abundance that you're trying to create, that are, that are meant to give us the ability to walk through hard things with peace and reasonableness. So that when people observe us and they observe the ways that we respond, we might be able to make a firm testimony about the kind of peace that can be provided from the Holy Spirit who comes only as a result of faith in Jesus. So Lord, may we have that kind of a testimony? Because I have a feeling that the anxieties are not going to decrease over time. They are going to increase. The things that are happening in this world are going to intensify. And things will continue looking more and more bleak to the present generation. And we have an opportunity to show that even though things are hard, there is a place of steady reasonableness and peace. So Jesus, help us to actually do something with our anxiety. Help us to actually engage in rhythms that shape peace into our souls. Holy Spirit, we trust you for these things and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.